Hello, and welcome to all of you joining us here. Another episode of The Nonprofit Show. Excited to have our guest uh, with me today, Muhi Kwaja, joining us. Uh, Muhi has a lot of letters behind his name, which I like to acknowledge, MPA, CFRE, CFRM, and trainer uh, with Fundraising Academy. So each and every Friday is brought to you uh, by our amazing sponsors, Fundraising Academy at the National University. I'm Jarrett Ransom, your nonprofit nerd, and Muhi and I are going to nerd out with you on some of these questions that you, our viewers and listeners, have shared. But first, we want to thank our amazing presenting sponsors. I'm going to give a verbal shout out for those of you that might be listening via podcast. So thank you to our best friends over at Bloomerang, American Nonprofit Academy, Fundraising Academy at National University. Again, today we have Muhi with us today. Be Generous, which is the Donate Now, Pay Later platform, your part-time controller, staffing boutique, nonprofit thought leader, and the nonprofit nerd. These companies are here for you, and they also show up each and every month to be of service in conversation. Uh, so thank you to our sponsors. Hey, we are marching towards, I cannot believe this, our fourth year. March will be our fourth year, I know, of broadcasting. Uh, you can find our previous episodes on Roku, YouTube, Amazon Fire TV, as well as Vimeo. I mentioned podcasts. We are in podcast form. So go ahead and cue us up wherever you stream your podcasts. You can hear this show just a few hours later today. Um, so, Mui, before we jump into this, this question from Pat, I would love to just say, Welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, I'm so excited uh, to be joining you. And uh, I really love these sessions. And I'm so grateful to be a repeat guest with you guys. And uh, I think everybody at Fundraising Academy really enjoys these because it really shows what's on the mind of our nonprofit leaders and the communities all across the country. So we love being able to just share our thoughts, whether they're right or wrong. <laughs> we will share them. <laughs> Uh, and you get to decide how you want to implement it. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. So you are uh, a repeat guest. So glad to have you here, as I refer to it as the hot seat. So each and every Friday, Julie and I take turns with a representative from Fundraising Academy. And we go through the questions that Muhi mentioned. You provide us, so our viewers and our listeners, send this in. Uh, there's many ways you can get that to us. Um, even Carrier Pigeon, I'm sure, is a way that we would accept it. Um, but every Friday we address questions and over the last three and a half years, Muhi, I have witnessed the change and the evolution of the questions and some of them, albeit similar questions to maybe what we've received before, I believe how they're answered and responded to now in like current day, current situation is interesting how there might be just a small little change that impacts you know, the, the delivery of today's question. So without further ado, I'll clear my throat and get us started here with Pat. Um, so Pat in Fort Worth, Texas wants to know uh, some ideas. So specifically, can you give us some ideas on what our donor retention number should be? We're starting to track this metric, but frankly, we don't know what a target goal or even a range should be? Great question, Pat. Take it away, my friend. Hey, Pat, this is an awesome question. I'm so glad that your organization is starting to track this metric. Um, 
I'd love to encourage you and your organization to look at the last five years of what your giving data tells you. You know, download all of the gifts, um, coordinate it by year, cumulative amount. So see if the donor gave in 2021 and if they gave in 2022. Um, and then divide that by the total number of uh, donors that you have, and that's your retention. Um, for 2023, increase it by a little bit. That's going to be the best for your organization. Um, but the national average for nonprofits is somewhere in that 40 to 45% range. Um, and, you know, there's since there's so many different nonprofits of um, different uh, organization styles, different budgets, how long they've been in business, all of those factors are going to come into that 40 to 45% factor. So don't freak out if yours is 30. If yours is 60, you're doing an awesome job. Um, but somewhere in between, look at the last three to five years of your data, and hopefully that metric continues to increase. And you can do so many things to focus on those donors where you have attrition and how you can retain them again. And that's a whole other podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> that is a whole other podcast and conversation. Mui, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you uh, maybe a clarifying question. I heard you say five years, and I'm curious if that's always been your standard practice or maybe if that's changed due to COVID. Um, so would you be willing to share a little bit more about that five-year versus maybe a, a standard three? Yeah, I love that point. Um, you know, donations through COVID surge, you know, in 2020, is going to look different than the anomaly before that, right? So um, 2019 donations are going to be different. 2018 to 2019 is going to be very different than 2019 to 2020. And 2020 to 2021 is going to be very different because of COVID. Maybe you didn't get those repeat donors again, right? Um, so yeah, I'd say five years is there just as a best practice to really look into your historical data and try to mark those trends for your organization. So, you know, if you only have two years of data, three years of data, that's okay. Work with what you have. But I think a five-year retention pool of data and metric will give you a better understanding of your database. Yeah. Great, great point, Muhi. I love how you answered that, you know, for Pat. And then I also want to just, we're going to touch on this later in another question. So forewarning there, uh, it really to drill into some other KPIs, key performance indicators. So a donor retention is a great KPI or key performance indicator to track for uh, the fundraising department. I think there's so many others that you can track as well, Pat. I don't want to overwhelm you, but really looking at, you know, what are some opportunities uh, for other metrics of success? You know, how many new donors, as you talk of, you know, uh, bringing that level in, you talk of, you know, did they increase their second gift? You know, that's another kind of measurement, but there's so many measurements out there, Pat. But um, I do think a quick Google of, you know, 
uh, fundraising KPIs or key performance indicators uh, would would warrant a really good read for you. And again, we're going to touch on that a little bit later with another question, or at least I know I'm going to bring it up. But such a good question, I think, as we look at our information from Mui's perspective, that five years is really good to say, okay, where is our baseline? And let's increase it by just a little bit. Yeah, and just so that we're clear, like calculating your donor retention, you're going to look at the number of previous years donors that gave this year. And then you're going to divide that amount by the number of total donors last year. And then, of course, multiply by 100. And that is your donor retention rate. So it gets confusing when you start looking at that five-year Mark, because if you're pulling from Excel, this cell is going to that cell, this cell, it's like crazy when you think about it. But that's right. Works. Uh, just make sure you're pulling from the right cell if you're doing Excel. Yeah. You know, that's a good point. And Muhi, I do think a lot of donor databases or CRM systems, they start to track that for you. It's typically year over year, but you can customize that report and do three years, five years. Um, so hopefully, Pat, you have a fantastic. CRM system uh, that's able to help you calculate that. So good point um, on that, Muhi. So we're moving over to Alabama, and my Southern accent might come out when I say read this for Char in Huntsville, Alabama. We are bringing in a new fundraiser, and we're trying to set some target goals. Should we separate out contacts or donor touches, in quotes here, from dollars raised, any other things we should be measuring from this team member? Question mark, says Shar. So, you know, this is a great question. And Shar may be a manager, a director, uh, somebody who is in charge of metrics and making sure that the fundraising bottom line is met. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's important. We need to be tracking these things. I think the accurate number of donor touches needs to be based on the donor themselves, their preference. So I don't think just because you have a donor metric of saying we need to have um, 150 donor meetings in your portfolio a year, or we need to have 200 phone calls this year or 300 letters sent um, or 500 emails. I don't necessarily, those are the things that are going to encourage your donor to give. What will is the impact that they're going to make. What will is how you tell that story. So it's hard to put a metric on that, but I'm not convinced that just because we have a touch point metric, that that's going to increase the donor's ability to give. Yeah. That's interesting, Muhi. I know early in my career when I um, was assigned a portfolio and I had a certain number of donors or constituents within that portfolio, I really was focused, I found myself focusing more on my metrics of which I felt I was being graded on by my boss, as opposed to the authenticity exchange within the constituent themselves. So I love that you bring this up. And um, 
simultaneously as I'm saying this, I'm also checking my own self because I'm coaching a client now to create portfolios and to create moves management, actually using the true, you know, uh, the cost selling education model, using the different phases and stages. So it's a lot of fun. And I do like, thank you. I want to thank you for reminding me and everyone watching and listening that it really is that authenticity exchange of what is it that that donor wants, right? How does that donor want to communicate and maybe how many touches as you look for that is a really good uh, just baseline knowledge of that donor touches, you know, from the dollars raised. Kashar, maybe as Mui said, maybe you are a manager, maybe you're overseeing, you know, this person who's coming in and you're saying, okay, like, what are these target goals? I think that donor retention back to, you know, our previous question, that's another great uh, goal to keep in track of. So good stuff, Mui. I love this. Yeah. And I think again, like, yes, you have an event coming up, something they're interested in, something that is, uh, compelling a uh, mission statement, uh, annual report, uh, something that comes across your desk and makes you think of them. Yes. Those are the yeah. things that you want to be sending your donor. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. I was there with you as well, Jared. Like early in my career, I was encouraged to get on the phone, write letters, send emails, do all these things, all these things. And I did it. Uh, and occasionally I would get some responses back, but I don't think that those were the things that inclined the donor to give or give more. Yeah. Um, my experience has been those things, like we've said, that have been the authentic what we that make the donor respond. I have to bring up, because I know you and I had this conversation, Muhi, about the apple slicer. And uh, so this is a, a previous conversation with us, but, you know, another point of the char is, you know, you're looking at what the donor's interests are. And I had shared in this apple slicer conversation that I had seen um, an article about, you know, like a regatta. And I knew that this donor was really into yachting. And so, you know, I pulled that mat. It was, it was a magazine, a printed magazine. I pulled it out. I wrote a little note, put it in the envelope and sent it to this donor. It was not an ask. It was not anything really about the organization. It was simply that authentic exchange of, hey, I know you're into, you know, regattas and yachts. And, and you had shared similarly, Muhi, your apple slicer story. And I just love that because that really is about the donor and not about your KPIs of being tracked as a successful fundraiser. So we'll have to go back and find what episode that was because that was a good conversation. <laughs> that was a good one. All right. So Shar, hopefully that's helpful. We're going to move into New York. So we're going from Alabama to New York. For those of you that are geographically tracking us today, Naya in New York um, says, we have been hearing about interim CEOs, but have you ever heard of an interim board chair? Our current board chair has to leave us due to a job transfer, and we don't have anyone to take the chair position permanently. Have you seen this, Muhi? You're coming to us. Okay. There you are. I'm so sorry about that. So, yeah, I think interim board chairs is very interesting. Um, I have seen uh, full transitions of board chairs um, and interim board chairs, you know, with a few months to go before seats switch and things like that. 
life happens. So I think the flexibility there is key. Um, and as long as there's a good exchange of knowledge, of responsibility, of vision, um, I don't see there being too many red flags with this or issues of concern. But of course, like who is the person that is stepping into that role? Uh, and what are their expectations and what's their vision? Does it align with how the organization has been going? Those are all things that I would question. Yeah. Yeah. And I have definitely seen this happen. Um, and if you're structured, this would be a question where you have a chair and a vice chair, perhaps the vice chair now steps in as that board response, board chair responsibility, then it might actually uh, say that specifically in your bylaws. So you want to take a look at that, you know, in absence of the board chair, the vice chair takes that responsibility in absence of that person, someone else steps up to take that responsibility. Um, similarly, I have absolutely seen that Muhi uh, around the board table where, you know, life happens as you referenced and, you know, maybe they do need to step away for some, you know, short temporary amount of time before those next um, executive voting term, you know, kind of placements come into effect you simply ask for someone else to take the responsibility of that. And I've seen that, honestly, not just with the board chair, but in all of those executive positions. So I don't think it's it's specific um, and structured, Naya, only to that interim CEO, or sorry, the interim board chair. Um, I really think it's for just about everything. I've seen it also in the secretary role. So, you know, any of those executive positions that, you know, you are already a fiduciary, <clears throat> excuse me, governing um, agent of the organization. But if you're by and large above that and having more responsibility at that executive level, it's even more of a time commitment. So I see that exchange happen quite a bit. And um, I would, again, when in doubt, refer to your bylaws. <laughs> and one thing I would love to share here as well is see if somebody can co-chair. What are the responsibilities, right? Get two people to step in and see what they can do to take the responsibility of being chair. Because if you don't have anyone to take the chair position permanently, maybe some of the existing board members can add on to what they're currently doing to help out. Great point. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. So Naya, I hope that helps and uh, your board structure is able to continue without skipping a beat there. So, um, okay, Jamie over in Dayton, Ohio, are you hearing about offering remote staff stipends from WFH or work from home offices? It could be used to purchase an office chair, desk or shelving. We're considering doing this as an employee benefit, but we need some input. This is a really good question, Jamie. So Muhi, you work nomadically. I know uh, you travel currently, um, you know, you're, you're joining us from an international location. What are you seeing for this? Yeah, I know. I love this uh, question. And I think it's something that every nonprofit needs to do. It's a perk. It's a benefit. It, you know, when we're when we were in our offices, we had the luxury of all of these nice things and they help with your productivity. And when you're at home, maybe you don't have access to those things and it may stunt your productivity. 
Um, so if organizations want us to be functioning at home the same effective way that we do in the office, having access to those things like a second monitor, a nicer chair, uh, ergonometric keyboard, all of those things make a big difference. Uh, so I'm a fan based within budget of what your organization's capacity is to make an exception to provide this stipend. And whether the employee chooses to use it or not, it's a nice additional um, amount to help the employee out. Maybe they, they'll say they'll buy it directly and, or they'll tell them that um, they'll reimburse the employee so there's no wastage of funds. Whatever the organization can do um, to help promote the productivity of their employees at home is critical. I'm curious if you've heard of and, and seen people being reimbursed or using that stipend for a walking desk. Have you heard of this one? <laughs> walking, walking machines, standing desks, all yeah. of it. I've seen it all. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And to your, or I, I really want to address kind of your work style. Like you travel quite a bit. And so I can't imagine that you're taking, you know, your stand up desk with you to all of these places. So you found a way that works for you as you travel nomadically. Uh, we had a guest on the other day. She works full time, also nomadic from her uh, recreational vehicle or an RV, right? So she has a setup for that as well, which is really fantastic. And and I do think that, you know, whether it's a stipend, whether it's a reimbursement, like it, to your point, it really is whatever helps them be efficient and effective in the task in which they're responsible for doing. Yeah. Um, and I remember, you know, honestly, being really early in my career and just thinking whatever I had is what I had and that I couldn't ask for anything else. But if there's something that makes you, as I stand, as I sit up straighter, right, if there's something that makes you feel more comfortable, um, you know, there's some ergonomic chairs, some ergonomic like keyboard things, the stand-up desk are really um, helpful. A lot of people enjoy those as well. So advocate, I would say advocate for yourself, advocate for what you need to be a top you know, a provider of, of who you are and what you're doing. And if that means that you need a cushiony little gel thing for your wrist, like ask for that. Maybe that's part of the stipend um, that you're, you're considering here. You know, I think that's, that's important because so many of us have different uh, ways in which we, we work. And I, Jamie, I think this is a great question. I love Muhi that you're like, yes, we should be considering this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One thing to add too is like increasing your internet speed, right? If, if both people are working from home, if they're kids online for school or, you know, you're streaming friends while you're working, like whatever you're doing, um, that is a great use as well to increase yes. your speed as well. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, the, I think that was in the back of my head. I know that we've seen that kind of technology, um, challenge, right, with with our, our students early in COVID. And that doesn't mean that staff doesn't also have that same challenge. So that connectivity, you know, I also remember hearing one of um, an employee was like, you know, working from home, but basically going to a coffee shop because their internet speed wasn't good. And so, the, you know, they, they were really forced into an even 
more remote kind of situation uh, than at home. So that internet is really good. Maybe even a phone, you know, if there's like a cell phone or a voice phone that you might need, you know, a, a cloud-based kind of service, all of that is really good. Um, I'm curious. Yeah. I'm curious, Mui, do you recommend this? Like, should we be asking our staff on an annual basis or like how often should we be asking them? Basically, do you have what you need to do your job? Yeah, I think that's a critical question and maybe even coming up with recommendations of these are the minimums you need if you don't have that. And like what, you know, now are people using personal laptops or are they using their work ones? And like, what's the RAM? What's the memory? What's the whole um, stats on the product you're using? And does it meet the standards that you need to be running screen share on Zoom and having your email up, <laughs> not freezing. <laughs> no, that's uh, so true. Yeah. So yeah, I think that organizations should be forward with it as opposed to making their employees maybe feel shy about requesting it. Um, so definitely the form should take the lead on that. Yeah. Good stuff, Jamie. And uh, I hope that's very helpful. Hey, these conversations are always a lot of fun. As we shared earlier, we are answering your questions. Uh, they may not be right, but there are perspective and there are, you know, experience. So uh, whether it's myself, Julia, Muhi, Jack Alato, Pearl, there's so many people that join us from Fundraising Academy. We bring years, if not decades, of combined experience. So we hope that we are able to uh, provide a little bit of insight on how to best move forward. Today's guest in the hot seat was Muhi Kwaja, MPA, CFRE, and CFRM trainer with Fundraising Academy. So thank you. I also want to acknowledge and recognize that you are the co-founder of the American Muslim Community Foundation. So Muhi, thank you for all that you do. Such an honor to be here. Thanks for the opportunity, Jared. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So thank you uh, for being here with me. And thank you to Fundraising Academy at National University. Also want to give a shout out to our other partners and presenting sponsors. So thank you to Bloomerang, American Nonprofit Academy, Fundraising Academy at National University, Be Generous, Your Part-Time Controller, Staffing Boutique, Nonprofit Thought Leader, and The Nonprofit Nerd. Today has been fantastic. Thanks to you for joining me. Thanks to all of you for listening in, either uh, through the video or maybe through the audio. So glad you're here. Um, Monday, we're taking off in observance of Martin Luther King Day. So uh, don't forget that that is a no-show day. And we ask you to join us back here on Tuesday. Have a wonderful, restful weekend. Muhi, have a fantastic uh, visit, trip, all of the good stuff that you're experiencing. And I ask that all of you to please stay well so you can do well. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks, everyone.